It's Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about 401k plan sponsors and their misconceptions about fee disclosure, which, you know, has been a fun uh, part of the business since 2012 and will be uh, fun for uh, quite some time. And, um, of course, first things first, that 401k conference, we return live in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, which... Just doing the Vince McMahon uh, impersonation for his uh, intro for WrestleMania 9. But we will be at the New York, New York Hotel and Casino, Las Vegas, Nevada, which actually I think is Sunrise, Nevada, but uh, whatever. Um, but we will be there on January 21st, 2022. Following week after that, that 401k National Virtual Conference on the 27th and 28th. Uh, we will also be in Miami on Friday, June 24th. Go to that 4KSite.com for further information on all the events. Probably going to release a date soon for Charlotte sometime in October 2022, um, as well as probably Phoenix. And I uh, Phoenix uh, got two dates in April, and I got to pick one. So um, you'll probably find that information on that 4KSite.com when it's announced. Um, Las Vegas, of course, a couple months away. Spencer Haywood's the guest. First time we're using an NBA player. Spencer was a NF, uh, NBA great, Hall of Famer. Uh, played on the Showtime Lakers. Well, the 7980 Lakers with Magic, a rookie Magic Johnson and Kareem. Um, Spencer had a big substance abuse problem, which he's overcome. So it's going to be interesting to uh, talk to him about his. Um, you know, recollections of the NBA in the 70s, which is quite different as it is today. And, uh, of course, go to that 401 for further information on how you can be a part of all our events. Now, going back to fee disclosure, I was one of those, you know, uh, again, uh, somebody who pisses in the, uh, you know, I put the turd in the punch bowl, I'm sorry, uh, always talking about, Things that, you know, offend people. And when I started my own practice in 2010, I was quite adamant that there needed to be some sort of fee disclosure requirement for plan providers. And you had apologists in the industry who said, you know what, we can't have that. Uh, it's over. It's going to overburden plan sponsors, and they are going to terminate their plans uh, as a result of these requirements of, uh, you know, uh, getting the uh, disclosures and making sure that the plan participants get their disclosures and whatnot. And, of course, that didn't materialize. The sky didn't fall. Uh, the chicken littles, you know, and there are people in the industry, is industry spokespeople, one of which is retired, thankfully. Uh, thankfully, the retirement, uh, thankfully that, that person's no longer in the industry. Any type of criticism about fees or whatnot, he took that as a, you know, some sort of libel against the industry. And in my opinion, uh, I'm quite adamant that the retirement plan industry has done a lot of good and there are a lot of things that are not so good. And the only reason, only way for the industry to improve itself is to be very critical and being honest of what's the shortcomings of the business. And I still think that fee disclosure, the lack of it, was one of the biggest um I think it was a disgrace. Um, you know, you're in the business of servicing your clients. You know, I'm an I'm an attorney, so uh, you know, like Hebrew National, I gotta uh, I gotta abide to a 
you know, a higher authority, which is the New York State, you know, New York State um, Attorney uh, Code of Conduct. And um, I can't be vague on my fees. I can't just say, you know what, uh, I'm going to charge you what I'm going to charge you, and you're going to have to deal with it. No, in my retainer letter, I have to be specific. If I'm going to charge somebody an hourly fee, i got to be specific about that. If I'm going to charge it be a flat fee, I'm going to have to be specific about that as well. And that's where I come from. Um, you know, you had a issue in the retirement plan business. Plan sponsors had a fiduciary duty to pay only reasonable plan expenses. And how could they if they had no idea how much the TPA was collecting, either directly or indirectly? And, you know... The problem with the business is that people weren't transparent. So you actually had TPAs who swore up and down that uh, running a ETF or index fund only lineup was more expensive uh, because they didn't talk about revenue sharing. Uh, they never mentioned revenue sharing, and they didn't mention that you know there's a reason obviously why index funds and ETFs can't pay for it. Uh, they weren't being transparent. And that's why the Department of Labor issued regs under uh, Section 48B2, which requires plan sponsors, uh, which requires plan providers to provide to plan sponsors, um, you know, uh, fee disclosure if they collect a thousand dollars or more from the plan for services. Um, you know, it, it's got to you know be um, you know specific. And, you know, that's the 408B2, and, of course, there's the uh, fee disclosure for plant participants that have to be provided. That's the 404A5. Um, you know, obviously, the, the plant providers also provide that as well. The problem, obviously, is a, a plant sponsor, if they fail to get their fee disclosures, it's really all, all on them. Um, the failure to com comply with the plant sponsor fee disclosures uh, will be that plant sponsors may be held to be partaking in a private transaction by the DOL, which could lead to an excise tax of 15%. Now, you know, too many plan sponsors don't realize their role as plan fiduciaries and being on the hook for liability, and so they'll always lay blame to the uh, plan provider that provide the fee disclosures. Um, you know, they don't realize that ultimately they are on the hook as the plan sponsor. Um, it's just, it's just, it's just, the, it's a whole, it's a whole mess. Um, you know, failure, obviously, to provide participants with fee disclosures may rise to penalties. Uh, there could be a loss of liability protection on the 404C because you're not properly informing plan participants of the cost of directing investments. Uh, it could be litigation by DOL and or group plan participants. So it's, it's what, you know, I call a hot mess, and it's something that needs to be corrected. And obviously, if the plan providers don't provide the fee disclosures, um, it's incumbent on the plan sponsors to hound uh, plan providers. You know, a plan provider fails to refuse to comply with the fee disclosure obligations, the plan sponsor is required to make a written request to the service provider for them. If after the written request, the provider still fails to provide the required disclosure, then the DOL reg requires that 30 days following the earlier of the date of the provider's refusal to furnish the request information or the date which is 90 days after the date of the plan sponsor's written request, the plan sponsor's got to file a delinquent service provider disclosure with the DOL uh, in order to avoid a penalty. Um, 
you know, I always, I always like when people say that, you know, when you're doing that, you're a narc or you're, uh, you know, a snitch or whatnot. But, you know, as a planned sponsor, uh, they have to protect their own rear end. And the way they do that is to properly filing with the DOL when they have a plan provider that's not providing the required disclosures. And, uh, you know, that's, that's obviously a huge problem. Next, obviously, is too many plan uh, sponsors shove them, shove these fees disclosures in the drawer. You know, uh, you, you get junk, junk bail or uh, participant privacy statements or whatnot from your bank or whatnot. And uh, too many plan sponsors treat these fees disclosures and just put them in the back of the drawer. And, um, you know, plan sponsors need to realize they can't afford to shove them back in the drawer. You have to, you know, plan sponsors have to read them. They have to actually uh, review them. Um, my knock against fee disclosures, uh, I still think to this day, is that I think the Department of Labor dropped the ball by not providing some sort of sample fee disclosure notices or kind of a model. I mean, I understand, you know, with a TPA form, it gets kind of difficult because TPAs, you know, uh, have so many different charges. Uh, my joke one time about a TPA is uh, they used to pocket revenue sharing fees and they actually created a new fee to disclose to disguise the fact that they were pocketing the revenue sharing. Uh, it was a, a custodial platform fee. And that goes back nine, nine, ten years. But... It's really uh, incumbent on the plan sponsor to review um, the forms and, and obviously understand the fees that they're paying. And again, I wish the Department of Labor would have come out with some model form or model language to have some sort of consistency. Uh, because quite honestly, uh, when you have to hire a risk attorney to review the fee disclosure to determine what the fees are being paid, then I think it the, you know, defeats, the, notion, defeats the, the whole purpose of fee disclosure. I think it should be... In basic language, too many different formats, uh, especially on the insurance company provider sign. I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's a hot mess. Um, obviously, it's important to shop the plan around. Plan sponsors really don't do that. Um, you know, it goes back to the situation I tell all the time. You know, uh, I sit in the house that, uh, you know, when we bought it was quite a hot mess. We bought it from people who, for 20 years, living here, put a nickel into the house, and it showed. So we had to go through the trouble of hiring contractors, and hired quite a few contractors over time because we had floods, we had a hurricane, and whatnot. And the biggest problem that I think we did was uh, selecting uh, contractors and just not bothering to uh, benchmark their fees uh, against what other uh, contractors charge. And plant sponsors really, you know, can't, Duplicate our mistakes because they are planned fiduciaries and they have fiduciary duty to pay only reasonable plan expenses. And the only way you know is know how much you're being charged and to determine what other people uh, provide for a similar service. Um, you know, if a, a plan sponsor is getting white glove treatment from a TPA, they can't go across the street to somebody who offers a no frill service and, and compare. It's got to be a, a similar provider offering similar services. It doesn't have to be exact, but it has to be in the same area. You know, if you're pay, you know, plan sponsors paying for a 316 service, 
um, and including that in their fees and, and benchmarking against the situation where there is no 316, I, I don't think that that's fair. It really needs to be apples to apples, not apples to oranges. Um, you know, if you like, you know, if the plan sponsor likes the plan provider, and they're paying a little bit more, that's fine. Um, it just has to look uh, at being prudent. Um, you know, uh, plan sponsor really has to see if they're receiving any type of value and it's consistent uh, with those fees, then, you know, I think it's incumbent on the plan sponsor to document them and memorialize them and approve the plan fees for the provider services. Um, you know, if, if you like, you know, if the plan sponsor likes their plan provider and let plan providers a a little bit more expensive, there's nothing wrong to renegotiate fees. And I recommend that because quite honestly, plan sponsors happy with their plan providers. Um, at least they know that the plan providers are good. A lot of times they don't, they think they're good. There's nothing wrong with trying to maintain that uh, relationship and negotiate fees down. That's how I see it. Um, and of course, uh, last but not least, uh, when it comes to retirement plan administrative expenses, it's really a question about reasonableness. Plan sponsors don't really understand the concept that it's reasonable. They think if they're getting disclosure on fees, they should pick the cheapest provider. That's not really how it works out. Uh, you know, uh, how many times, you know, we've seen government contracts where they hire the lowest bidder. And how many times do we see that fall apart? Um, we see that too often, especially I, I live close to New York City, and uh, that's a hot mess when you, you know, sometimes hire the cheapest bidder. And I think the same thing is for retirement plans, especially on the TPA side. You pick a TPA just because they're cheap. Um, it's a it's a recipe for disaster. And you know, uh, I always laugh. I, uh, you know, I, I think if people see my picture, they know that I wear glasses. And uh, I have, you know, very, very nearsighted, which I don't understand what nearsighted means that I can't see far. Why can't you just say I have a far-sighted deficiency instead of just saying I'm nearsighted? But anyway, my, you know, eyesight has not been good since I was age seven. It's only gotten progressively worse. There was a time, uh, you know, it's funny when you're a kid, you're told, oh, you want, when you get older, your eyes are going to be better. That's, that's crock. I think there was one year where I actually improved. I think I was in my late 30s or early 40s. It's been going downhill ever since. Um, I always thought about, you know, doing the uh, surgery on the eyes. Now, you know, it doesn't make sense because I still have to wear progressives because uh, I'm at that age. But I always find it funny when you see people offering the laser surgery for the eyesight. And people are offering discounts of $1,000 or more. Now, uh, to me, your vision is probably, you know, the most important sense you can have. Uh, I think it's more important than, than hearing. And I, quite honestly, I never went through the surgery because I don't think I could have withstood the 10 minutes with my eyes open. I could barely withstand the eye doctor shoving a light in my eye. But I always find it funny when one of those laser places offers like a discount of fifteen hundred bucks or a thousand bucks an eye, and to me, uh, I'm not 
going to subject my eyesight to somebody where I could get a, a cheaper rate. Um, but yet we still have plant sponsors that, you know, hire a TPA that's the cheapest. So, uh, yeah, laser surgery, it's one of those things. You know, maybe if I was younger or whatever, if they could have put me to sleep, I would have done it. Otherwise, I just, I, I just know I could not. To me, it was something out of the clockwork orange, keeping my eyes open. No, thank you. I, I, I really don't need that. Um, obviously, for the plan sponsor, picking the cheapest provider is a bad idea. Uh, just because they're cheap, um, the level of service tends to be worse um, than you know other providers. Um, it's you know the cheapest provider doesn't allow a lot of handholding, especially the payroll companies. Uh, you get very very little service for very very little fees, and uh, if you're changing providers, you know plain sponsors need to realize. They have to get something similar. Some TPAs are better at hand holding than others. And I always talk about this case. Um, we, where I worked as a TPA, we worked with a uh, company in the Southeast. Um, they, of course, were one of those uh, advisory firms that if they liked you, they brought all their plans to you. And so one of the plans that they're switching over the HR director didn't want to go with us. So it was an architectural firm. They didn't want to go with us. Uh, the HR director was adamant, was very, very upset because the previous TPA did a lot more work uh, than we would. And, uh, you know, they would save and plan costs. But eventually, uh, we we got fired and, and so did the advisor to the plan because, again, uh, plan sponsor uh, wasn't happy with the level of service that we were offering, even though we were cheaper. Uh, you know, it, it's not all about savings. I think that uh, savings sometimes is very, very short-sighted. you got to stress value more than savings. And I think a plan sponsor needs to understand the difference between value and savings. Um, again, I, I will always um, be anti-payroll company uh, TPAs as long as they do shoddy work. Um, you know, I'm willing to change my views if they're willing to change their quality of services, and they haven't, so therefore I'm not going to change my views. And uh, I think that's important for plan sponsors to understand. Again, they tend to, in my opinion, these payroll providers, and I'm talking to the two biggest in the country, I think that they don't offer a level of service uh, that is um, satisfactory for any plan sponsor that is a non-safe harbor plan. I think if there's any type of compliance testing involved, uh, other than maybe uh, participation in the 410B, I would uh, I would pause for concern for the plan sponsor to do that. But, uh, you know, again, that's, that's my bias um, from experience. Uh, to me, you know, proper 401k plan administration is, is certainly a lot more than just taking deferrals or payroll and uh, you know, the bare-bone service of, you know, TPAs and obviously the payroll provider TPAs is usually met by some sort of bare-bone service. And um, I think plan sponsors need to realize it's very, very hard to put a price uh, on quality. Um, and unfortunately, they only realize that when it's too late, when their mistakes made and, and whatnot. So 
that's my two cents and my experience dealing with fee disclosure. Um, we will uh, be back next week, and I hope you will uh, be a part of our uh, podcast. And you can do that by listening. Uh, and of course, uh, we got those live events coming up at 41K Conference. Looking forward to Las Vegas. Looking forward to Miami and whatever we plan accordingly. Obviously, uh, COVID is still an issue and whatnot. So uh, just uh, want to leave, uh, leave it there. And uh, again, I uh, hope you tune in next week. Thanks. Take care. Bye.